Hey, good morning, guys. My name is Cody, and I get to be the pastor here at the table. And we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse uh, 16 this morning. And uh, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open them up there. If you don't, no worries. Um, the uh, Scripture is going to be on the screen um, for us. And then also, if you don't have a physical copy of, of the Word of God, man, feel free to grab one of those on the info table or on the giving table at the back of the room on your way out. We want you to have a copy of God's Word um, with you. So um, we're going to go ahead and I'll read this for you um, and then we'll uh, pray and then we'll jump into the text this morning. All right. This is found in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism or worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from, the whole, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to the human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll jump into this. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak through your word. We know that you will. Um, it's kind of funny that we ask that, but God, we're asking that you would open up our hearts. God, we pray that our hearts would not be hardened by your word, but that our hearts would be softened. Um, so God, um, allow us... Um, let make us teachable this morning. God, we love you. Set us free from the shadows that rule our lives. We ask it in Jesus' good, good name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Um, again, if you came in late, my name is Cody. I get to be the pastor here, and we are super glad that you're here with us today. Um, things are a little bit different. School is starting back. We had a parent-teacher night. Um, our community group met right over there um, by where um, the youth are sitting. Um, this, this past Thursday, we handed out water and popsicles to a lot of kids, and I don't know what happened, but now that light stays on. So, um, so, so now this is like the enlightened section. The rest of y'all are just dwelling in darkness. So I don't know how to, you know, if you, you can, maybe you'll move over to the light at some point, but anyway, um, so we're, we're glad this is, this is a section for those who prefer like the hard copy of the Bible, not like the digital that will be illuminated for them. Right. So anyway, um, we don't, maybe that will go off during the sermon. Maybe it won't. We don't know. This is the joys of meeting in a school. Okay. So here we go. Um, I don't know how, if you've ever, maybe you've experienced this with your own kids. Maybe you experienced this yourself. Um, I, the first time I ever saw it was like on a Facebook video of like this kid that like a little bitty guy just learned to walk and he's walking around and he sees his shadow and then he like tries to step away from it and the shadow follows him and it just, he goes in total freak out mode. Like he cannot get away from it. He's running from his shadow. Um, Little, little kids run from their shadows. They're, they're kind of scared of their shadow. You probably heard this phrase, man. He's, he's scared of his own shadow, right? And 
but the reality is we, you can't outrun your shadow. Uh, you can try, but you are not going to outrun that thing, right? But you don't have to be scared of it, and you don't have to submit to it. But it's funny how many times, now we're kind of getting into a metaphor, that we submit to our shadow. It's kind of like um, the, 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 the mirror they put up in the jungle and here comes the animal, you know, the jaguar comes by and it starts fighting with his own shadow, you know, and like you would say, oh, he's not submitting to it, but yeah, he is. And we do that with the shadows in our own lives and with the shadows that are, that, that are cast upon us. And this is what Paul is getting at here. He says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food, drink, with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are shadow. They are but a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. What he's referring to here with the Colossian church is there were some false teachers going around in the church and outside the church that were trying to get the Christians who had been set free from the law, not that they were free to go break the law, but they're, they're free from the traditions of men, from all of these festivals, from the new moons, the Sabbath, all of these things. And, and they're trying to tell them that they have to do these things, that Christ is not enough, that Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for their sin, that's good and well, but you have to, it, it's a Jesus plus something. It's you've got to do extra things. And here's what I want you to know today. God does not give extra credit assignments. Now we live in a world, we live in a world that just thrives on extra credit. All of my, all of my kids, high school, grade school, they were always about that extra credit. And that's fine for your teacher, but that's, you don't want any, earn any extra credit with mom and dad. And if you do, if you, as a parent, you are handing out extra credit with your kid, I'm going to encourage you to stop. All right. That, that is not going to serve your child well. And it's not, it's not the kind of relationship that God has with us. We, God doesn't earn extra. He didn't give you extra credit assignments. If you feel like God is giving you extra credit, I'm just going to tell you right now, the, 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 the thing or the who handing out that assignment, it's not God. It's not God. You're serving another God if you're trying to do extra credit assignments. But this is exactly what Paul is warning the church about here because there were people, they were trying to hand out extra credit assignments, the, the, the worship of angels, the elemental spirits, um, you know, questions of food and what you drink and whether you, you know, worship on this day or that day or this festival that you're going to. And you got to understand, like, they're, they're, in the, they're in the fire of it. Because most of them probably had come out of, or some of them had come out of a Jewish system, and they were, even if they were Gentile, they were thoroughly um, familiar with the Jewish laws and regulations. And then these false teachers of Judaism come along and say, hey, you've got to do this, this, and this in addition. And they're like, why would I go back and offer a sacrifice at the temple when Jesus is my sacrifice? But, okay, if you say so, maybe that gets me some extra points with God. No, it don't. Or maybe if I do this festival or if I do that, it just didn't mean as much to them anymore. For the Colossians, the shadow was food and drink. 
yearly, monthly, weekly Jewish rituals. And they were being judged because they were no longer submitting to the Jewish cultural norms, to its regulations. No more sacrifices. Synagogue wasn't the same anymore. These things were only a shadow of the things to come. Here's what you have to understand. Jesus Christ stands in the middle of history, and he casts a shadow on everything before him and on everything in front of him. He's the substance. How silly would it be to try to have a relationship with a shadow? That that just sounds silly, right? We wouldn't do that. But yet, this is exactly what these false teachers here in Colossae were trying to have the, the, the Christians there at Colossae do. Try to treat the shadow like it's the real thing. Imagine talking to someone's shadow rather than the actual person. Paul says, let no one pass judgment on you. So my question is, who might no one include? Well, everyone. (laughs) Anyone. But we we do kind of let those, those anyones or those everyones have a lot more sway over us than what we probably should. Right? I'm just going to lay out a few. I don't want to get you sniffling and crying too much in the, in the, in the sermon. But everyone has someone that probably has too much say in, in your life. Mom and dad, they're, they're, I mean, if you're a parent, you know this. Um, you're not perfect. Um, and I don't know where you're at in your relationship with your kids. Maybe your kids, you know... Um, blame you, and maybe you blame your mom and dad, There's, there, it, it happens. There, everybody has a, a parent wound, okay? But some wounds are worse than others. Some, some of us, we really carry around a lot of, like, and, and because our parents just didn't do right by us. They, they said horrible things to us, and that kind of cast a long shadow over your life that you can't outrun. But I'm telling you, You may not ever be able to outrun it, but you don't have to fear it. And you don't have to submit to it. When my mom, who was um, raised Catholic, um, when she became a Christian, I remember vaguely, I I, I don't know that I was there for the conversation, but I just remember kind of the the weeks that followed um, when she told her parents that she was going to be baptized. They didn't get it. They didn't get that at all. And, and it was a little tenuous, you know, for a, for, for a while. You know, there was a little bit of tension in the room. Um, they're like, because in their minds, as Catholics, they're like, you're leaving the church. Like that, that was the Catholic mentality. You're leaving the church. Even though they really didn't go, <laughs> you know, but no, you were baptized. You don't need to be, you know, that they they really had no allegiance to it, but they were, but but they really had they wanted her to submit to its regulations, even though she had no personal relationship with Christ. So that was a that was a little tense. So she she kind of felt that that shadow of mom and dad and how it worked religiously. So I mean, if I would just say this because I realize we have a lot of people that come to our church that that 
have been raised Catholic. And they're, you're kind of walking through that right now, walking through waters that my mom um, already walked through. Maybe I ought to get mom here to preach a sermon. I don't know. But, uh, but I would say this to apply this text to that specific situation. Like if, if you no longer consider yourself Catholic, then why would you hold on to your involuntary baptism as a child? That's submitting to its regulations. Does that make sense? I realize that's a, that's a hard word, and some of you are like having to really wrestle with that. But it's it's true. Like this is this is where this meets the road. Don't don't submit to its regulations, you know, anymore. Which Paul is going to get to in a little bit. Here's here's another one. Um, friends, we our friends cast long shadows over us sometimes. I remember that whenever I um, came back to Christ, um, I, I had friends that basically like, why are you talking about Jesus so much, right? And it wanted me to continue to, to go with them. And, and my, I, 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 my conscience has not let me do the things that, that y'all are still doing, right? And I didn't want to pass judgment on them, but that was a lonely, lonely time in, in my life where my friends just didn't want to hang with me anymore, right? Jesus caused kind of like a, a severing. That's a, hard, that's a hard thing to walk through. But I, I'll tell you the, the, the voice, the, the person that I, I struggle with the most on passing judgment on me is me. I'll give you an example of this. Um, this, past, this past week, um, I came downstairs. Lori usually is up before I am, or at least downstairs before I am, and she's made, she usually makes the coffee. And I don't know, for whatever reason, like our coffee maker, like sometimes the little red dot indicating power will stay on for like four hours, and other times it only stays on for an hour. All right, so I go down there. The little red dot is not on. I assume that she has not made the coffee yet, that she's gotten busy with something, and that's the leftover coffee from the previous morning, which we take and we save, and that's our cold brew. Now, some of y'all may think, I ain't never eaten cold brew at you know y'all's house again eating. It's about what it's like because it's thick. So, um, uh, you know, so if you, if you ever have cold brew at our coffee, just full disclaimer, that's what you're getting. It may have been like week old stuff. Who knows? Throw some half and half in there, an ice cube, you're good. It'll give you a facial twitch. But, uh, but so there's got this coffee, and it, uh, the light's not on, so I don't think it's on. So I'm like, okay, I'll just have some cold brew. So get some ice cubes, put it in my mug, pour it in there. As soon as I start pouring it, it's, I, I feel the heat. I'm like, oh, the light had just gone off. And here's what I said to myself. Now, I know you are sitting there thinking, wait a minute, you're almost 50 years old and you're still saying this stuff to yourself? Oh, yeah, yeah. Here's what I said to myself. Out loud, in this voice, because before Silas left to go to basic, which, by the way, Lori's ringer is on. If he calls, she's going to answer it. She hadn't talked to her baby in like a week. All right? And I may just ditch the sermon and go talk to him, too. I don't know. But um, so before he goes to basic, uh, basic training... Um, we watched through the, the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, all right? That's, you need to know that's going on in the back of my mind. I pour the coffee, realize it's already hot. Now I've poured hot coffee over ice. And what I say to myself out loud in the kitchen at 5.30 in the morning, stupid fat Hobbit. Now, 
what would possess someone who's going to have to be preaching just a few days later to call himself a stupid fat hobbit? Passing judgment on, on myself. All because I just poured some coffee. I just didn't realize what it was. Now, I knew that that wasn't true because hobbits aren't real. Okay? I knew, I knew that that wasn't true because hobbits aren't real. But I'll tell you something. Gollum is real. Gollum, Gollum's a, he's real. I mean, maybe not the actual character, you know, but that inner voice that is the voice of the accuser and the passage judge, that's real. And some of you walk around with that all the time and you have no idea. You, know, you, you just live in that. Here's what my counselor told me, which by the way, I was supposed to have a, an appointment with him in the morning, a guy that we check in with, kind of a life coach guy that we just check in with. And we had an appointment with him that morning, didn't even realize it, missed it, missed his call, then realized it. So I just told him, I said, hey, I just got through calling myself a stupid fat hobbit. What is up with that? And he says, yeah, you're not preaching the gospel to yourself. He says, you need to punch Gollum in the face with truth. Before I get to the truth part, I want to I want to just kind of let us set in this for just a minute. Because I, I want us to kind of identify it. Here's what Henry Nguyen says. The real trap, or a real trap, is self-rejection. He says, as soon as I am rejected, left alone, or abandoned, I find myself thinking, well, that proves once again that I'm a nobody. And self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us beloved. I will. (laughs) Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us beloved. Being beloved constitutes the core of our existence. And so whenever you give in to those voices that judge you because you are getting baptized and you've already been baptized or you're not going to this church the way your parents went to this church or you're self-condemning, you're not living in the freedom of the gospel. Paul commands the Colossian church and he commands us by way of the Colossian church to let no one pass judgment on you. That includes you. That includes you. In Romans, he recounts the actions of God toward his beloved. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 34. It's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. 
Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Shadows cannot love you like this. Shadows cannot love you the way Christ, the substance of all things, can love you. Shadows can only give you extra credit assignments. My, my counselor, Dr. Cofield, he, uh, he said, I want you to practice breath prayers. I'm like, okay, what's that? Like, what, what do you mean? He goes, just simple, quick prayers that you can basically say in a breath that reminds you of who God is and, what, and who you are in Christ. Things like this. You can take, pick any of these. I, I, these came straight out of the text I just read you out of Romans. God is for me. God's for me. You can say that in one breath. I am yours. Jesus died for me. God justifies me. I am not condemned. I am raised with Christ. I died with Christ. Jesus prays for me. I am God's beloved. Over and over. He said, you may pray that thing 83,000 times a day. As much as necessary. You're not going to wear it out. So if God was the judge that Paul warned about in verses 16 through 17, he now warns us about the umpire. Not the empire, not that one, the umpire, you. Look at verse 18. Let no one disqualify you. That's where the imagery comes from. The the idea of disqualification comes from like a, uh, like a, a, a judge of a contest, an umpire, a referee. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism, worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. You see, the problem at the, at the Colossian church, some of, the, some of them were believing that they, because they hadn't achieved this special status, or because they weren't doing these special um, rituals, that they weren't really growing in Christ. And Paul says, no, it's not about, it's not, it ain't like that. This idea, uh, let me just go ahead and say this right now. Let no one disqualify you. That's a command. It's the, it's, it, it, is a, it is an imperative command. The same way that let no one judge you. Let no one disqualify you. I'm just going to tell you this right now. Anyone, anyone who says Christ isn't enough for you has no right to qualify or disqualify your relationship with God. They just don't. Anyone who says Christ is not enough, anyone, anybody that you, they probably won't own up to it, but you can just tell by the things that they say that they are a Jesus plus theologian. They have no right to speak about your qualification. None. As a matter of fact, and you can read this throughout the scripture pretty heartily, that Paul is pretty adamant that Jesus plus people, Jesus plus false teachers, are have we don't give them any quarter, any mercy. Like if you just read through the, the New Testament and you, and you see about how, what Paul says, what Peter says about how to treat false teachers, 
Oh, it's harsh. There's plenty of mercy and grace. It is begging for those who've been swayed by false teachers to come back. But the false teachers themselves, anathema. Let them be accursed. It's harsh. Let no one who is a Jesus plus theologian disqualify you. He goes on, he explains this, insisting on asceticism. Well, what is asceticism? Asceticism is severe discipline or avoidance of all forms of indulgence. The ascetics are those who says, oh man, if I have pleasure in anything, I must be in sin. But that's, that's false. God created all things for us. We're supposed to enjoy the good creation that God has given us. Severe discipline is that idea of like, you know, of causing self-pain. And the aesthetics falsely taught that only those who severely discipline themselves, only those who severely deprive themselves, only those who walk around with a frown upon their face and a diminutive demeanor, they're the truly spiritual ones. And Paul's like, no, no, that's not. You, that's not it. He goes on, he talks about the worship of angels. And we don't know for sure what this means. I did a lot of reading on this. We don't know if like, if they thought that they were actually transported to another realm and were worshiping with the angels, or if they were like, somehow angels came down and, and, and inhabited their worship, or if they were worshiping like what they thought the angels were worshiping like. We, we don't know exactly what the nature of this was, but what we do know is that it was linked with special worship experiences that they thought of themselves. And then they passed judgment. Like if you don't have this special worship experience, like we did, well, your faith is lacking. You're not quite as righteous. You're not quite, quite as good. I, this happened with me once, not the worship of angels, but in this same type of spirit that was involved in this, I had a guy that came and Lori hired him to come and tune our piano. And then she wasn't there. I was there and he was a pastor of a church and he was tuning the piano and we're talking. I knew he's a pastor of a church and it was a different denomination than, than I, you know, we were part of and that's fine. Um, but after about two hours, you know, tuning the piano, he asked me, you know, what church I belong to. And I told him and, and he said, Oh, okay. And then he got done. He shut the lid and he came over and he sat down in my chair next to me, like, like, a, like he's going to pastor me. And he says, can I just tell you something? And he was very kind. I said, sure. He go, and he started telling me about his experience of speaking in tongues. Which I'm like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm not against you doing that. I've never done that. And, but the longer he talked about it, the more I got the idea that he was saying that I should do that that I needed to do it. And I'm like, uh, are, do you want me to like try it? Like, well, how? <laughs> like, oh, I don't know. He goes, yeah. He goes, I said, I don't think that, I said, I just don't believe that I've, I'm gifted with that gift. I don't think I'm, I'm, you know. And he goes, well, you need to be. And, and, and so me, you know, I'm like, are you saying... <laughs> I said, are you saying that for, 
for me to really be a genuine Christian, I have to start speaking in an unknown language. And he, and very kindly, he said, yes, that's what I'm saying. I almost, I was almost like, I ain't even paying you for the piano. Get out of my house. But anyway, I didn't. I paid him. I, I paid him. And I, I'm like, well, I don't believe that. And, um, and then I also came back with him. I said, as I understand it, you believe some kind of crazy things about the Trinity. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, you don't believe the three in one. You believe that God just changed costumes. You believe that he was father in the Old Testament. Then he put on the costume of Jesus in the New Testament. And now he's wearing the costume of the Holy Spirit. You're a modalist. You don't believe three in one. You're a strict one. And he goes, yes, that's right. I do believe that. I said, well, here's my question. Who is Jesus praying to? I said, and who was it that came and, 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 and lit upon Jesus' shoulders at his baptism? And where was the voice of, who? where was that voice? Was Jesus just like an incredible ventriloquist? Like thundering from the heavens? Is that how that worked? And he said, I got to go. I said, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Should have went a long time ago. Then I yelled at Lori for bringing that guy into my house for tuning that piano. I didn't. I didn't really yell at her. I did. Here, here's the here's the thing. Extra credit shadow work doesn't make you spiritually special. It makes you spiritually arrogant. It doesn't. It will not make you spiritually special. God doesn't give extra credit work. Here's instead is the kind of worship that I think should be imitated, emulated, and held up. Couples that struggle with infertility for years and yet attend faithfully when they know there's going to be a parent-child dedication. That's admirable. That's worship in spirit and in truth. That's special. Rejoicing for another couple in your group when they get a promotion or a pay raise when you've lost your job. That is admirable. That's worship in spirit and truth. Attending and celebrating a wedding for a girl younger than you while you're still single. That's admirable. Rejoicing. Even in the midst of your pain. That's, that's admirable. That's special. Because when that kind of worship happens, it demonstrates that through Christ, you are in covenant relationship with the God of all creation. And despite your circumstances, you are not shaken. And you're holding on to him. In the life of Christ, all of the law has been fulfilled. All of it. There are no extra credit assignments to be given. You can't improve upon what he has done. In the death of Christ... All of your sin has been atoned for. You're not going to get more of your sin forgiven by worshiping angels 
or doing any of these other aesthetic practices. Any extra credit work is not assigned by Christ, but it's by a shadow that does not love you. So Paul goes on and he asks the question at the end. He says, so if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? If you died with Christ, why are you still submitting to this other false system of worship? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to precepts and teachings. These have an appearance of wisdom, of promoting self-made religion and asceticism, a severity to the body, but they are of no value stopping the indulgence of the flesh. A series that's coming forth here at our church um, in the next few months um, on kings. Um, and we're not going to cover this king, so this is a bonus for you. But there was a great king. Um, he was a good one. He was one of the good ones. Um, after David and Solomon, um, which it's questionable whether or not Solomon was a, was a real good one. He didn't have a good, um, he didn't finish well. Um, but there, there weren't that many good ones. Josiah was one, um, and another guy named Hezekiah. Hezekiah is a king in Israel, and it comes to his attention that they're about to be invaded. And Hezekiah, even though he's a good king, he sends ambassadors to Egypt to ask for help. Now, for some of you are like, yeah, what's the big deal with that? Get some allies, you know, get your buddies, get your homies, you know, get, prepare for battle. The problem was, was that Egypt in Israel's history that's who God had to deliver Israel from. That Egypt was a place that enslaved Israel. And now they're running back to ask Egypt for help? Isaiah chapter 30, verses 1 through 2, the Lord speaks to Hezekiah about this. He says, Ah, oh, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan but not mine. Carry out a plan, but not mine. And who make an alliance, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh, and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Egypt had cast a long shadow over Israel. It was once a place of flourishing, but it had become a place of suffering and slavery. And it had been years since the Exodus event and God's deliverance. But now with the threat of invasion, Hezekiah wavers in his faith and he turns to Israel's former taskmaster, slave owner, rather than to her redeemer, Yahweh God. Now, let's not judge Hezekiah too harshly here, but instead, let's find the log in our own eye. When faced with crisis, where do you first turn? What regulations do you start submitting yourself to? And I say that not to cast judgment upon you. That is covered at me too, because I'm the one who said to myself, stupid fat hobbit just three days ago. 
Under what do you find refuge? Is it something that once enslaved you? You say, well, no, it didn't enslave me. If you trust in it long enough, it will. Just ask Israel. Egypt started off as a place of flourishing, and it turned into a place of enslavement. Paul poses this question for the Colossian church. If Christ freed you from this, why would you submit yourself to it again? And that's a great question for us to ask ourselves. When he talks about the appearance of wisdom, you have to understand that Christianity is counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive. Everything in our culture points to extra credit work. Promotions, performance reviews, bonuses. Where Everything points. We live in a culture of shadow and extra credit. But Christ is the substance. Jesus gives us no extra credit work. He's already done it all for us. Shadows cannot love you. Christ, who is the substance, does and can and will. So here's how we wrap this up. I'm going to give you three options today. We Three invitations, as it were. First of all, we're going to invite you to take communion. If you are a Christian, you're walking in faith with Christ. You're, you followed him in believer's baptism. You're, you believe and you're walking in repentance. You're trust. You're not perfect. I'm not saying you got to be perfect to come out here and take communion. The very fact that you're coming out here and taking communion is owning to the fact that you're not perfect, that he's perfect, that it's his life represented by the, the bread. And it's his death on the cross that atones for our sin, represented by the juice. We want to invite you, if you're a believer walking with Christ, to come and take communion. You say, Cody, I don't know that I'm a believer. I don't know that I'm, I, I can't point to a time when I've done that. Then don't, don't feel obligated. You don't, you don't have to do this. That's okay. You can set this one out. But I do want to invite you to have a conversation. To come and talk to me after the service. You can come talk to me during the service while we're singing. Or catch me, you know, catch me on the way outside. And let's, and let's have a conversation about where are you with Christ. Okay? And then the last invitation. So first is to communion. Second is to a conversation. And then lastly is to sing with us as a congregation. To sing. To be sang over to be saying with, and to direct your praise to God who has set us free. Okay? I'm going to pray for you. I want to invite you to come take communion. And then we're going to sing together as a church. Okay? Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for setting us free. God, thank you that you are the substance and you are more than the shadow. God, thank you that you love us. And thank you that there's no need for extra credit work. You've, You've already done it all. You've accomplished it all for us. God, may we press into that. Only when we press into that can we really grow with growth that is from you, Lord. God, set us free from voices of our parents, voices of friends, voices of our own accusation, certainly voice from the accuser, from the evil one. God, may we sing to you with the recognition that you sing over us, that you rejoice 
over us that you call us beloved. God, let that be the core of our existence. That we are loved by you. In your good, good name we pray. Amen.